Welcome to Inspire Campfire, a podcast where ordinary people tell their stories of extraordinary adventure. These are campfire stories meant to inspire the rest of us to light the fire within, get outside, follow our dreams, and return to tell our own stories. Ready? Let's strike the match. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Scott Wurzbacher, and today we are going to talk about what happens when we listen to the voice inside that calls us to adventure and immerse ourselves in different cultures. That is exactly what our guest has done over the course of his lifetime, and what you are about to hear is guaranteed to expand your awareness. Vincent Rowazi Jr. is our guest, and he's here to share how cultural immersion has expanded his consciousness. Vincent grew up in the Northeast in what most of us would consider a normal upbringing, following the typical progression, going to school, graduating college, and getting a job. Yet something awoke inside of him throughout that process that led to a decision that changed everything. Vince has since immersed himself in a variety of cultures, from New York to Miami, from the kingdom of Bhutan to Bali. He even spent three months living with a tribe in the jungles of the Amazon. He is currently following his passion for photography and lives in Austin, Texas, which has a culture of its own. I am so excited to share this story with you all. Vincent, welcome to the campfire. Thank you very much. Uh, happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. So you and I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago, and it was going to be like a 10, 15 minute intro call. We ended up on the phone for two hours. And I just, I took pages and pages of notes and <laughs> it, oh man, I just, I loved your story and I uh -huh. can talk to you for hours and hours and hours, but Same, uh, man. I really, I really enjoyed that conversation. It was great. So just to kind of kick things off here, I wanted to just start with this idea of cultural immersion. So before we even share your story and, and kind of the journey that you've taken, can you just kind of talk to us about what cultural immersion means to you? Yes. Yeah, so I knew you were going to ask this question and I was kind of like, okay, let me look up immersion because we were talking about how you, you like the derivative of words understanding the definition yeah. of things it kind of opens up your mind to like oh okay i never really paid attention to this before and what it said what there was one of the definitions was to immerse into a liquid and i kind of imagined oh okay that actually does make sense for cultural immersion uh so immer immersing yourself in the liquid the liquid being culture yeah. so kind of like completely taking you out of your hijacking all of your senses of you know your taste your smell sound everything that you see is completely enveloped in whatever this culture is and for me that's what that's what it's that's what it means and when you're in like a place like let's say vietnam and you're tasting a bond mead that's incredible you've never had you've never tasted it like this before with like this perfect pate and then the smell of like that weird cabbage in the markets and then scooters everywhere buzzing around you and you're just kind of completely like in shock almost. But that's an awesome feeling. Like I love that. I've been chasing that my whole life. 
Yes, I love it. Is that good? The cultural immersion? Does that sound? Yeah, like? I mean, you, you did. It was because you know when I was thinking about kind of what we were going to talk about today after that epic conversation that we had, I just was looking through my notes and the words cultural immersion just completely popped out at me. And I mean, because this is not about like you know, taking a, a tourist trip to a place and observing what's going on. Immersion is about right. really getting into that life and, and, and being part of the culture, not, not just going to witness it. And that I think is what's really grabbed me about what you've done over the course of your journey. So, so let's, so let's go there. Um, if you would, I'd love to just kind of hear an overview of sort of your early journey and sort of this build up to this decision that you made to, to travel. Yeah. So I'll kind of, kind of keep that theme in mind as we go here, because that's the type of travel that really is what I seek is this kind of the full immersion more than like a week, you know, yeah. drinking pina coladas or something, right. which is cool. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. It has its place. Um, yeah. But be, you know, when, when did the, the journey to kind of like take that deeper leap, I think actually, you know, I was thinking, when did this happen? And I, you know, I've always wanted to do something like that to just, I think, you know, ever since I saw the beach, you ever see the beach with Leonardo DiCaprio? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So he like goes to Thailand. And when I was a kid and I saw that movie, I just, I, I thought, okay, I'm going to do that at some point in my life. I'm going to backpack around Thailand and do what this guy did. You know, it just seemed exactly like what I was meant to do in my life. But there was always an excuse for like not doing these things. And after college, there was a there was a big fork in the road. My buddy and I were going to teach English abroad. He was going to go to China and I was going to go to Thailand. And we were going to do it for a year. You know, it was going to be the first big trip. Uh, so we had all the plans ready, you know, and at the same time, like all my friends are moving to New York and maybe I was interested in a girl and, <laughs> and I wanted to get a job and all these things. And so I actually didn't go. And so I think that's actually the beginning of that journey was actually not taking the journey and completely kind of like putting it on hold for what was like 10 years because I didn't actually yeah. start traveling until I was 30 which is crazy because I always wanted to do it. So he went to China, never came back. He like got a job working in marketing for Porsche. And like, I did like the typical, went to New York, try to get a job, try to date this girl, didn't work out, try to get another job, try to do a different girl. <laughs> you know, it's just like the same thing over and over. Uh, but that's where I met Matt, who you've also interviewed. Yes, Matt DeSantis, episode 31. Right, another, another episode. Yeah, so he's actually like way further out there than I am. And he had this dream of going to Bhutan before we even ever held a camera. I'm a photographer. Uh, he also loves photography. Before that, we, we were like talking about making a documentary in Bhutan and making photos and films. So, we actually, he actually made that happen. He lived there and I was working um, in a tech company sitting at my desk. And I get an email message from him saying, hey, do you want to come to Bhutan for a year and, and help me launch a travel company? And I'm like, yeah, that sounds amazing. You know, like, of course <laughs> yes. I'll do it. He's like, but you got to be here in two weeks. 
uh, because your visa won't work otherwise. Yeah. And uh, that was kind of like, oh, shit. What am I like? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I, I don't even know where this place is, first of all. Like, I had to Google Bhutan and yeah. see where it was on a map. And yeah. it's, as you know, probably a small country sandwiched between India and China. Yeah. Uh, so in the Himalayas. So this place is like super remote, but I really wanted to go. This was the the force that I needed to 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 drop all those excuses that I had in the past and and do it. Uh, first, I called my parents. I said, "Hey, I know this sounds a little crazy, <laughs> but yeah. I, you know, my friend Matt, who you know, invited me to go for a year to this country. They're like, where is it? I don't really know." Uh, <laughs> But that that's kind of how it started. I gave I had to tell my boss that I was quitting and that I was gonna leave in two weeks. He thought I was crazy, actually, that guy. Um, but my parents were really supportive. And so that was the uh, there was a lot, a lot of other things I had to do, but buy my flight, all this other stuff. But basically, like within you know, two weeks, I was living in a year in a very, very remote country. I love this. And I, and I know that a lot happened over there and that I know that yeah. was a, it was a total game changer for you. I remember that conversation, but um, I, I wanted to just, there's a few things I want to like unpack with everything that we just talked about, because that like you know, this, this podcast is about kind of listening to that voice that calls us to adventure and, and also kind of exploring those fears and doubts that prevent us from some, from crossing that threshold and following that voice. Right. Mm. And so what's so cool is you did hear that voice early on a long time and yeah. and and i think that you know part of the lesson there was that you didn't listen to the voice and then 10 years later right. i'm sure that the fact that you didn't listen to the voice kind of weighed in but now you're in this place where you have two weeks to make a decision i had it i had like 10 minutes because <laughs> <Yeah, two, laughs> you had two weeks to get there so I, i'm just if you could kind of talk real briefly about just you know because you said um, you said you watched the beach with Leonardo DiCaprio and you said, that's something I'm yeah. going to do at some point, but there was always an excuse not to. So I wonder if we could just touch on some of those, some of those fears and the doubts and, and how those yeah. kind of played into the overall story. Yeah. And I love that, man, because you know, the, the, the mission of your podcast is to get that person that was me to take that trip to, to teach that English year in, in Thailand. I should have, I should have done that at the same time. Like I met Matt and went to yep. Utah and everything. And, and so it worked out anyway, but I wish I could have talked to myself back then, uh, you know, about what was going on. And the fears are like the same exact fears actually that I have currently on taking a trip. It's like, Oh, I have a dog now. Like, you know, like I have all these responsibilities. I have this, photography business and I have clients to serve. Um, so, and there's just like this buildup of things that seem kind of insurmountable. Like you can't, you don't think you can kind of do, you know, live for a year in another country yeah. or something like that. Yeah. But w once, once I was faced with that situation where I had to make a decision in 10 minutes, it was easy. I was like, okay, I'll just, you know, quit my job and then I'll just, uh, well, I'll have to forget about whatever, you know, dream I was chasing here and, and 
so it's interesting, like the same, like it even happened this year, trying to go on this road trip uh, for a few months in the US. It was very difficult for me to not make money, you know, or the thought of like um, losing my clients. Uh, what am I going to do with my dog? We mm -hmm. actually brought the dog with us. So, <laughs> uh, but we did it. Once we did it, it was easy and it was so worth it. It was, it's always the most important thing for me. And I, I make sure that I do it every one or two years, something yeah. that big. And, and ultimately it was like a decision that you just made and then the rest you just figured out. But I, so when, right, when right, you got right. that call from Matt, Hey, you want to come to Bhutan? Like how did, like, did you go back to that decision in China? Like did China come up in your mind when you were making that decision? No, because that I literally thought about this dream every day. <laughs> like there was never a, a, that moment never kind of was in the back of my head. It was always, I always wanted to do that. And I, and never, I just never did it. Like I always made the, the an excuse. Yeah. Uh, so when it was, when I had that call, I mean, literally mine was a phone call. So it, it, makes, a lot, it makes it a lot easier yeah. <laughs> and you have to give the answer yes or no. Yeah. Or you don't, or it's no. So, you know, like, cause you're always like, Oh, I'll just, you know, maybe next year, you know, maybe yeah. next year, maybe next year it turns into 10 years. So, um, I didn't, yeah, I didn't think about it because I always knew that I was going to do it. Yeah. What's so cool about it is, is like, there's this like sort of spiral and like, we always get these second chances. And I think that mm -hmm. sounds to me like what happened with your experience with China was like, you know, you got another chance and that experience helped shape the next one and look what's right. unfolded since. So, so from there, can you take us, I know, I know some profound things happened to you in Bhutan and I really want to get to the Amazon here. So tell me what happened in Bhutan. Well, yeah. So, so for the sake of time and story and, and to keep things uh, interesting, well, Bhutan, I'll, I'll kind of briefly talk about, and we'll, we'll talk about the Amazon as well, but uh, Bhutan was that, you know, that first huge trip. So, yeah. It was cultural immersion at the extreme, extreme. The only thing that was not culturally uh, different was that they spoke fluent English, mm. which is actually like a huge help, you know, because um, you can communicate with their culture a lot easier. Yeah. Yep. You know, you're constantly trying to survive in this new culture. And it's a cult, you know, Bhutan is a culture that, uh, the country's uh, main religion is Buddhism. Mm -hmm. They don't have the same material desires as the West. Uh, there's ex there's an extreme Buddhist and, and uh, spiritual way of life that's constant and that uh, permeates through every conversation that you have. So, you know, you'll be talking with somebody and they'll, they'll kind of, you kind of feel like they're grounded and rooted into the earth in a way that you haven't, well, that I haven't communicated with people in, in the US. So it was like, maybe I've met people once in a while like that, but over there it was like everyone yeah. was like this. So it was, at, you know, after three months, six months, a year, you kind of start to absorb that culture a little bit. And for me, it was kind of like a rebirth. You know, I got whatever 
15, 20 years of caring about like what I wore or like who I was or what my career was or what people thought about me kind of got like stripped down and I was just this new person kind of wandering the earth. <laughs> and I kind of felt like, uh, I just, I just felt like, you know, I'm going to, from now on, I'm going to do what makes me happy and I'm going to try to maintain this Bhutanese state of mind, like this kind of like, they have a very kind of like down to earth mentality. Yeah. That, that place changed me a lot because it was like kind of the first step for me to become who you know, I, I wanted to be in a way. And so that's yeah. when I dropped everything, became a, tried to become a photographer in New York, slept on couches and things, but I didn't care. It was cool. It was amazing. One thing that really stuck out of what you said is that you stopped caring what other people think about you. And I'm so curious, like when you were in Bhutan, like what was the impetus for that? Was it just, you know, they say that you become the six people that you spend the most time with. Is it because you were with mm -hmm. people that had that sort of same mentality? I'm just curious, like how that transition happened for you. Um, it's interesting because not caring what, what other people think has a, was different then than how it is now. Uh, then it, back then it, it's, it was because I was removed from society here mm -hmm. and it was almost like the person that I, uh, that existed here no longer mattered. Um, like this, maybe this image that, that I had to keep up or something like that. Like I was, I really felt like I didn't belong in any circle. And I was just like a, of, person of the world just wandering around mm -hmm. so what happened with B bhutan is that they they kind of put a lot of more emphasis on other parts of life and you you didn't have like the a mall like a really nice mall to like buy clothes so it's just like yeah. you just don't have it no one has it so it's you know it doesn't really matter uh, and when it doesn't matter, you realize, oh, it's kind of nice. Like I'm not spending money on this stuff, you know, <laughs> but it's material like, stuff. Like, so when yeah. you say emphasis on other parts of life, like what are some of the things that are emphasized over what you were used to? So I guess in the, in the West, you know, we have a very, we put a lot of emphasis on career status in a way, your, yeah. your home, your, the things that you have. Yeah. And over there, it's almost like everyone kind of has a similar lifestyle. And so um, the things that they kind of put more emphasis on was things like uh, family, their existential being of, of like their past yeah. life and their current life and their future life. Yeah. Paying uh, homage to, you know, the spirit world and maybe people that have passed before like really meaningful one-on-one -on -one connections mm. you know because there's so many there's so, there's less distractions you're really like just even even in a bar social situation you're really like so close and packed in in a tiny room and you just have to talk yeah <laughs> so it's like a campfire scenario yeah i love it uh, all the time yeah it's, it's so funny because i think like what's sort of coming to me is this um I'm going to say comparison void, meaning like okay. no comparison. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm just sensing like, you know, the way that you just described life over there is, is comparison a thing over there like it is here? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's not, it's definitely not as strong. <laughs> like, yeah. There's no question about it. Yeah. It still exists. And, and in my experience, it exists in even those tribes in the Amazon. So it's not something that's like, um, oh, if I just move there, like I won't have to like deal with that anymore. Like, cool. I love that. You still deal with it, you know, but it's just like on such a smaller scale, you know? Yeah. Um, Man, that's cool. Like you just made a great point. Like you can't just up and leave. It's not going to just go away. Right. Oh, <laughs> uh, for sure. Yeah. The same, the same. It's funny how like society works like that. You would think that, you know, some of the things wouldn't, I mean, it's amazing that the same patterns of society happen amongst like every circle, no matter how remote the place is. Oh man, that is awesome. Yeah. So, all right. So maybe can we go to Amazon, the Amazon now and maybe like how that happened, like yeah. such a game changer for you. How did you get from there to the Amazon? Okay. So in Bhutan, there was, uh, there's so many good stories from there that I like we only Matt and I can talk about, which is great. But we were at this party one time and uh, it was a great night, but we met this doctor and, she, uh, or she was a nurse actually. And she did, uh, she was like, Hey, if you ever want to go to the, you know, we we're talking about travel. If you ever want to go to the Amazon, I know this tribe leader and you can like stay with him and maybe do photography and things like that. So I was kind of like, Oh yeah. Okay. Maybe. And uh, to, after living in New York for a year, I realized that I was kind of going back into the New York version of myself. Okay. Had the nice, got the nice jacket now, you know, like nice pair of shoes. So the cultural immersion works both ways. Okay. <laughs> so, so now I'm, yeah. So yeah. now I'm back to being in New York. I've, I've, okay. I've kind of lost my Bhutanese version of myself. Yeah. Uh, but I knew that I had at least. So, so I made a promise to myself and I still have this promises, you know, every year or two years, I'm going to completely get up and leave again. Uh, because I know how important this, this person, this version of myself is the potential to, to grow as a, as a human in, internally. So that seemed like the next logical move, the Amazon, any, any like, anyone that dreams of like being a national geographic photographer, like has to go there kind of in a way. So for me, it was like, you know, I, I wanted to be like that, you know? And I contacted the tribe, got the tribe leader. He messaged me on Facebook, which I thought was like kind of bizarre. Awesome. But at this point I had, you know, also had Facebook friends with monks in Bhutan. So this yep. wasn't too, too abstract. Uh, so I was like, all right, I'm chatting with this tribe leader. It's pretty cool. And he has like the most epic garb, you know, for, with his, his tribal garb. Yeah. And, uh, so he invites me and I go to, so he said, oh, you can teach English. I say, what about chess? Because I had been, uh, my dad was a chess teacher and, um, I was playing chess with a girl in New York. So I was probably trying probably trying to impress her a little bit, you know? Okay. And uh, so he was like, that's a great idea. So I come to the Amazon. My goal was to teach English and teach chess. And of course, for me personally, to have another cultural, culturally immersive experience. Yeah. yeah. 
So now we're in the Amazon. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to fast forward. I just want to hear about the experience. I mean, so, so you're in yeah. the Amazon. Can you kind of paint a picture for, for the tribe yeah. and kind of where you're living and what is, what does day-to-day life look like for you? I did write a, a story about this. And I, so it actually kind of reminded me because I even forget what it was like, but I'm going to fast forward two months into the jungle. I'm in a canoe uh, on a river in the in the Amazon with my host brother, and they are splashing the water to get rid of the piranha because we're about to jump in it and try to go fishing. Like this is how they catch fish. Wow! So they like, <laughs> yeah, it's, this is crazy because this is the scariest thing I've ever done because there's anaconda too in this river. Piranha so and, and you're about to get in. Yeah. And it's like, you know, a brown, dark, murky river. And you just, you, you know, you're in the middle of the Amazon. So you know that there's some fangled looking creatures there. Yeah. And uh, so I asked them, what about the anaconda? They say, don't worry, they're sleeping during the day. They, they, they only attack at night. Okay. And I'm like, you know, I don't even like water in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> like, I get a little scared of like the ocean. It's probably my biggest fear. But, you know, like I know that this is my opportunity to do something uh, and cross that boundary of fear and and, and try to do, do, do what they were doing. If they can do it, maybe I can do it. So we go into this, the water and this is how they hunt for food that we're eating later that day. Uh, and what they do is they stick their hand into a wall of the riverbank okay. under the water. The fish nest in holes in the okay. riverbank. Okay. And basically you just put your arm in there and pull out the fish. Uh, but if you've ever put your hand in like a like a hole in the river of a mud. It's just like this. It's just like a very scary. You don't know what's in there. Uh, it could be a snake. Yeah. Could be a piranha. Uh, you're hoping it's a fish. And yeah. So I actually got to do it and oh rip out this fish and ah, <laughs> hold it above my head and like I'm holding it. Um, and that's what we ate at night. And they would put, you know, like you would eat all the organs except the heart. Uh, it was actually delicious. Um, but it was like this whole fish Wow! and it was like your bowl of soup with a big fish laying on top, uh, with like maybe just onion and, and garlic as a soup base. Uh, and that was amazing. You know, we would eat in the dark, uh, under the huts, um, with the mosquitoes, just like, I remember the, the host father, the shaman, he would be constantly doing this with his shirt because of the mosquitoes okay. all day. <laughs> it was yeah. brutal. Yeah. So you're getting, you had to deal with that. I had to, you know, sleep on a wooden floor with a tiny a pillow this big. Okay. That's my, this is my, this is my sleep for the night. And there were bats in my, in my roof. And then you had uh, these ayahuasca ceremonies. Okay. And yep. he was the best shaman in that part of the jungle. Um, so I would learn from him about the plants. And, you know, I would, I remember one time I walked around with him in the, his, his garden 
and has all these tropical plants and he's pointing to each one describing the medicinal benefits yeah so this one is uh cures a headache and actually i found out later it has caffeine in it wow. and caffeine can be a you know a headache cure yeah. Yeah. so that made it so that's like a relatable thing here's another one for a stomach ache and maybe it you know has maybe something uh that uh, has a base you know yeah. and maybe yeah. reduces like stomach acid something like that you know yeah yeah and then there were things like this one is for when your child can't walk and it's crawling and it hasn't learned to walk yet. You make a T out of this and it will, he will learn to walk. Really? Wow. Okay. And then you have like level 10, yeah. the boss, which is the ayahuasca vine. Okay. <laughs> and that's, that's a very complicated uh, process of, of making it. And it's actually kind of interesting if you look into like how it's even possible that the tribes discovered it, but it's a combination of two plants and then they make the ayahuasca and that is for your, uh, that's to cure your, your spiritual, uh, yep. self and to kind of even, um, cure your maybe childhood traumas and things yeah. like that. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole thing. And I think it's becoming more and more uh, known in the West, in the US, you know, more and more people are having that experience. And I, probably a whole nother podcast um, at mm -hmm. some point, yeah. just, just on that experience. So, yeah. so, um, so, so you're teaching chess. Talk, mm -hmm. talk about that. Like how, like, so you're, you brought like a piece of yourself, a piece of your culture to this culture. What was that like? Yeah, that's an interesting thing because before, you know, I was uh, very much about not intruding on another culture. And mm -hmm. you also see um, uh, missionaries are a major part of the whole world. Yeah. <laughs> Even the most remote parts of the jungle, there's like a church. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. someone yeah. showed up with medicine and a church. And it's like uh, you can see how that really changes the religion of the culture. And so uh, maybe the shaman have now lost their uh, um, knowledge of medicinal properties of plants, you know? Yeah. So I didn't want to do that. <laughs> That's the last thing I wanted to do because I've been so enriched by their culture. But I thought, you know what? Chess is a thing that, you know, every is everywhere around the world. It's, it's not uh, too obtrusive or intrusive, sorry. And... Um, so, you know, it's something my dad taught. I think it will be really helpful to, to them because if I'm going to teach English, I might as well teach chess, you know? Yes. And I, I got a lot out of it as a kid. I always thought it made me a better problem solver. So I, I did, yeah, I brought chess boards, chess pieces, and we taught under like a coconut tree, uh, you know, in the school, school yard, it's like yeah. a building. I didn't know how to speak Spanish. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I, I, maybe I have good restaurant Spanish. <laughs> so <laughs> nice. I would teach them the, like, I'm have my iPhone. I'm like, okay, this is the Obispo. That's the Bishop Peones is pawns. Okay. And then, uh, I would teach the, I didn't know how to say like how to take the King or how yeah. to, how to like take a piece. So I would say you eat it. Okay. <laughs> and then the kids would like, They'd be like, can I eat this piece? Like trying to learn the <laughs> yeah. rules. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you can That's eat good. it. Yeah. And then uh, if they won, it would they would have eaten the king. 
Okay. And they were like, I'm eating the king. Like, yeah, eat the king. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so yeah, my restaurant Spanish dictated, uh, their lesson plans, but, uh, eventually like, it was really interesting to, I've never taught anything like that before. And it was really interesting to see how, uh, a culture is so opposite from what I'm used to. The kids could learn so fast and, uh, kind of in the same way that we, we would, and, uh, could learn the concept of checkmate, which is actually like really it's really bizarre like to win chess you actually don't eat the king yeah you you trap it and it's a that's submission right. so it's kind of like a weird like to teach that it's kind of like there's no win there's no goal yeah there's no score it's like i i give up yeah <laughs> you know? yeah yeah so teaching that was really difficult but the same kids i taught were the same kids that my shaman was training to be shaman okay. and so they're 12 years old taking ayahuasca and i'm like dude what like wow what was it like you know because i know what it's like for the adults and there were some people coming in maybe they had you know like an ailment uh this was their last final place to cure cancer or something like that and then this kid is next to me doing it at 12 years old what did you see oh, i saw this elephant and like your head turned into a tiger Wow. And it was awesome. And they're having like a really like fun, joyful, psychedelic trip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Holy smokes. I and mean, the adults are going through like this, like unwinding and unraveling. Yeah. I mean, what just Very a completely different, just completely different way of life. And this is, I mean, yeah. this is cultural immersion, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and it was a difficult one. Yeah. And, and Definitely. just to, to be you. To be a human being like in this culture and then, and then the, I mean, what's it like to pull yourself out of that culture and then come back? I mean, what is, what is like, I'm imagining like the first, the first couple days, the first couple of weeks of coming back from that experience. What is that like for you? Well, it's like a mixture of things. It's just like bittersweet, right? Like there's part of me that's like, is or already so used to seeing like the uniqueness of the world and, and culture and society and kind of uh, like amazed by it um, and amazed by living kind of in, you're kind of like living in the moment so much that you bring that over when you come home. But then there's like this other part that's, that I've only recently learned to deal with. And it's like, how do you bring that same, awareness or or feeling of appreciation to suburban america yeah. you know or the city you know because it's gonna be very exciting but after a month you're like mm, all my issues are back all my problems are back you know like my, my immersed here yeah i i'm i'm not like i'm jaded or like i don't like like what is even interesting about this place yeah because and and then that's been a journey for me as well as like um kind of doing the op doing the opposite you know like bringing that person that that is so curious about other people when i'm traveling to curious like about the person at the dog park yeah and the here in, in austin 
Well, and so the, the curiosity kind of like, I want to make sure the one point doesn't get lost in this podcast because we talked about it a lot when you and I spoke, but so much mm. of your journey was triggered by essentially a career change, right? Where you went from insurance sales and different sorts of jobs until to discovering like a passion that you had for photography and then turning that passion into a potential career change, which you have successfully done. And mm -hmm. Like that love for photography is part of what's taken you to so many of these different places. Um, is that is that fair statement? Absolutely. Yeah. My uh, I don't know if he's call him a mentor, but this National Geographic photographer that uh, I've always talked to since I was young. Uh, he says the camera is a uh, a license for curiosity. Uh, so you can you're you're allowed to do whatever you want <laughs> just because you have the camera and everyone kind of like agrees with it for some reason like oh that guy has a camera like yeah yeah come on into our culture and, and like check it out one of the things that we talked about was um and maybe in a slightly different context but just like in you and you're following your passion for photography um what you discovered was i think you made this comment that that there's a limit like when you're just chasing sort of financial success, there's a limit to that. But you made a comment that when you really go after what you're passionate about, like that, those limits sort of fall away. And I just see like that's something that, that you've experienced. And Yeah. Okay. Let me talk to that guy working at the, me working at my computer, chasing, <laughs> chasing that next paycheck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's like, oh, I'm probably listening to podcasts and, and things and reading books of how to, like, you know, get rich and things like that. And uh, in insurance sales, like uh, how to sell and, and all these, like, techniques and skills, right? Yeah. And the te actually, they work. The techniques and the skills definitely are helpful. Mm -hmm. But <clears throat> for me, what I've experienced running my own business in the last eight years is that skill and technique have a ceiling yeah. and uh, that's also part of that financial motivation it's like you're only going to go so far um in this market where people are buying or yeah people are buying your skill or technique or whatever you're whatever you're selling yeah uh, if it's yourself or or, or product or whatever you can only go so far and then there's this this other value that goes beyond skill and technique that includes emotion and this is where when you start getting into like a luxury market yeah um this is where price tends to go all over the place it actually doesn't have like a stick like you can't really put a price point on something when people are buying uh, based on like a feeling or an emotion, yes, then their value of something is, is dependent on how you know what a dollar means to them. Right. So when I was starting out my business, a dollar meant lunch, which was pizza at the time. <laughs> yeah. You know, sleeping on couches, and now it means fifteen dollar lunch. So a uh, dollar can be a different thing when at that le level of a when you're selling like an emotion because I care about my health now and things like yep. that. I'm going to spend the extra money. Yes. Yeah. There's this, that ceiling 
learning it from these other cultures and being immersed so deeply, like kind of like helps me figure out myself. And then I can understand other people a lot better. So through that, like, I think, yeah, I think I can remove financial motivation. And what I've found, the pattern that I've found is I actually attract more wealth when that's not my main goal. And, you know, there's other things involved and I'm being more true to myself or things like that. And photography is is something that does that for you. Yeah, I'm trying to explain that the best I can, but. That was beautiful. Yeah. And and so you started to kind of go there a little bit because just to kind of bring it all together, I mean, you know, you've lived in New York, you've lived in Bhutan, you've lived in Amazon. We didn't even touch Bali, but you spent a year living in Bali and now you're in Austin. You lived in Miami and all of these places have different cultures. And I think for me, like, you know, the Amazon experience is mind blowing, but the fact that you've had that and all of these other places, it's like, you're witness to so many different cultures. And what I really want to find out here is how all of these different cultures have, have sort of shaped who you are and opened up your awareness. Let's go there. I, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, maybe COVID, COVID was a very interesting time for everyone. I think we had a lot of time to reflect. For me, I went through like some other stuff and actually everyone, so more people I talked to, not just COVID. There was all these other things in people's lives that they had to face. Yeah. I was extremely challenged and I had to really look within to find any sort of peace. Like if this is my last last uh, resort. Um, and I feel like this is the journey, the, the other journey that I've been trying to take for so long. I kind of realized there was a lot of things that I realized about myself, but one of one of the things I realized was about this person that travels so much and you know always wanted to do it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know when I was younger, before I ever took that trip, I think I always thought I would become who I wanted to be once I was somewhere mm-hmm. else. Yeah, or that um, you know maybe the a monk. You know, I had no idea what a monk was like, you know, but but in my head, I thought, you know, oh, it's because they're living in a temple in a monastery that they are this, you know, this peaceful being. Yeah. And, you know, I'm in a club in New York and having fun and all that. But deep down, I do want that that peace, that happiness. And when you see a monk, you kind of like, yeah, you know, you know, you know, when you know, when you see it. Yeah. And the same with the shaman. I thought, oh, you know, maybe if I go to the jungle, really, really deep, deep in the jungle, and I and I live with these spiritual masters, that I will, um, I'll find the answer. Yeah. You know. So it's kind of like immersing myself in these cultures. In a way, what I was doing was eliminating the going through like a process of elimination. Yes. And finding out that you don't have to be living in a cave in a, you know, in a monastery <laughs> somewhere. You don't have to be a generational shaman with, you know, speaking to the plants and all these things to find peace and, ha- and, and happiness, mostly because they all have the same issues 
that we do. I know it sounds bizarre, but alcoholism was like an issue in the in the Amazon. You know, uh, they were like, I you know, when you're there for a week, you don't see the problems of other societies. Yeah, and when you when you're culturally immersed, you see the good and the bad. Yeah. And the weaknesses and the vulnerabilities is what made me realize, oh, these people are just like me. There's like yes. literally no difference. Yes. You know? That process of, you know, even in Bhutan, I still thought, you know, the answer was somewhere else and uh, the shaman, you know, the answer is somewhere else. So this is my process of elimination to find out that, you know what, the answer is not out there whatever it is you're, you're searching for hap- usually it's happiness, but like, uh, you know, love, uh, your dream career, what you're supposed to do with your life. The questions I had sitting, sitting in my desk and my, at the tech company, what am I going to do with my life? What am I supposed to do? Who am I? What is my purpose? How can I be happy? That's, what was really going on in those travels that's what i was searching for and guess what it's not out there but i had to go out there to find out that it was not yes yes so you had to go mm-hmm. it wasn't what you thought and now you're back yeah. and where are we now right now we're in suburban america in austin texas <laughs> Yeah. But, uh, and I have the clarity that I've always wanted. And that's, that's, man, I've been, so, I've been wanting that for so long. What does that clarity look like? I'm not, I don't always have the clarity and I have to work on it constantly, constantly, mm-hmm. constantly. But, uh, and so I'll just continue, but that it's a feeling of like knowing yourself, I know who I know. I'm very confident and know who I am, what I'm weak weak at, what I'm strong at. Being honest with my myself, very difficult thing to do. Um, <laughs> surprisingly, I literally had to deal with it the other day, like when a client actually didn't love their wedding video, the first edit that I gave. I had to really like be honest with my it's. Anyway, it's a it's a work in progress. <laughs> oh. uh, having clarity on my uh, what you know what my current purpose is, yeah. what I want to do with my life, you know, and these are things I literally have to like uh, have a morning ritual where yeah. I remind myself myself of these things, you know, that I've discovered during that COVID period, you know, like a kind of deep reflection, yeah. um, and it gives me a lot of peace and happiness um but it's a constant work and that's what they did in bhutan and that's what the shaman do they spend time with the their issues and their uh whether it's issues maybe it's um kind of like the inner workings of their mind and spend time with it instead of ignoring it spend time with it instead of ignoring it i love that spend time with it you took long journey around the world but there's an inner journey as well isn't there yeah and and that is i don't know if it's the most important one but for right now it's the most important one for me you know just as as significant as that one i took in bhutan and the amazon yeah uh 
right now this is this is the travel i'm on it's like an inner adventure it's just <laughs> as exciting it's crazy how like interesting it is in there it's like whoa when you, become, like when you become open to crazy. it right? yeah because it's just like walking through like a new country or like city like you're you're unraveling uh, and you're discovering new things uh, it sounds like a little trippy and crazy no, it I, trust me like <laughs> it's it's helping me it's helping me yeah I love it. Well, um, you know, this journey that you've taken um, from Bhutan to uh, Amazon to Bali and all the places you've been in the United States, you know that Hollywood's going to make a movie about your life at some point. And Vince, and I want to know when they do, who's going to be the actor that's going to play you in this movie? Okay. Well, I already know Tom Cruise, of yeah! course. <laughs> Sweet. Okay. I love it. What's your movie going to be called? It's a work. It's a working title. Okay, it's a work in progress. That it's one. A, it's a work in progress. <laughs> working, yeah. a work, a work in progress. Starting the, right, right. A journey <laughs> in the works. There yeah, you go. Ooh, like a that. journey. A journey oh. in the works. There you go. I think you got it. You just yeah, something it. like that. Okay, it feels good. There yeah. you go. All right, a journey in the yeah. works, starring Tom Cruise. Vincent, thank you. This has been. Such an enlightening conversation. And for those listening, I hope you've been inspired today as much as I have. I hope Vincent's story has encouraged you to listen to the voice inside that calls you to adventure because we want to hear your story next. If you have a story to tell or you need a nudge to create one, please send me an email. We'd also appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word by leaving a review and sharing or tagging Inspire Campfire on your social media. And until next time, I want to encourage you to get outside. Thanks for listening. Vincent, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Yeah, I hope uh, hope everyone is going to get something, a little something out of it. Thanks. They will. They will for sure.